Welcome to episode 3 of the second season of American Opioid. If you just started listening, you'll want to start at the beginning. More information is available at www.americanopioid.org. Hello, one of the women said. We're from Child Protective Services. Based on information we have received, we have reason to believe that this household may be unsafe for Matthew Kane. We'll need to inspect the premises. What are you talking about? What information? Marjorie asked. Who's been talking to you? We are... Not at liberty to say, the woman said. The sooner you comply with the search, the easier this will be for everyone, including your son. Shaking her head, Marjorie stepped aside and allowed them to enter. Okay, whatever. The search was thorough. As the police officer waited by the doorway, the women methodically worked their way through the entire trailer. They were obviously searching for something that did not take too much space, something that could be easily hidden. Cheryl must have told them about the Vicodin pills and fentanyl patches. So, this was her revenge. Through it all, Matt stayed glued to his book, the first in Sybil's third shipment. Marjorie had noticed a major change with this set of books. The books from the first two boxes had displayed colors on the left-hand page and stick-figure drawings on the right. The new books had only colors, no drawings. Also, the blending between the colors was far more intricate, and Marjorie felt overwhelmed just taking it all in. The same appeared true for Matt, who frowned with concentration, oblivious to the three adults who had invaded his home. I'm actually kind of enjoying this, Marjorie said. I don't get a lot of visitors. If we find what we're looking for, your enjoyment will be quite short-lived, we assure you, one of the women said. What are you looking for? Marjorie asked. The women did not answer. They continued to rummage through her trailer. In her bedroom, One of them opened the small top drawer of the dresser, saw it, glanced at Marjorie, eyebrows raised. What? Marjorie asked. You're going to tell me that's illegal? I'm sure you have one hidden away somewhere. Don't act so innocent. Laughter all around. Her remark had lightened the mood. What happened? The policeman at the door asked. The woman shared a knowing glance with Marjorie and announced, Feminine hygiene products. Nothing you'd want to see. Stifling giggles, the two women continued to search, but with noticeably less zeal. A short time later, they left. Marjorie stood outside, 
watching the taillights grow dimmer until they disappeared. Then she took out her phone and called Cheryl. How dare you, Marjorie said. How dare you try to take my son away from me? You have a son who is almost the same age. Don't even start, Cheryl shot back. You dared to come into my house through fraud and went in front of my son who is still traumatized by what happened yesterday. And you did all that just to get more drugs. Vicodin and now fentanyl. We saved your life when you overdosed on that, remember? And you came back for more? Don't preach to me, bitch. Marjorie was beside herself. This isn't about me. It's about my son. If anyone takes him away, you will have fucking hell to pay. And your son's an idiot. It's about time someone told you. My son is light years ahead of him, and he's deaf. Oh, Cheryl said, so they didn't find drugs all over the place? That's too bad. Where did you hide them? Your son deserves to be raised by someone who's not a closeted drug addict. Marjorie hung up the phone, walked inside her trailer, leaving the door unlocked. Slumped onto the couch. That was the first time anyone had called her a drug addict. Is that what I am? She shook her head, went to the closet, grabbed a scooper, went out back to a grassy area behind her trailer. She had thought about hiding the fentanyl patches in her car, but worried that they might search that too. She retraced her steps from earlier in the day, five full paces forward, then eight to her left. The light from her phone shone across the freshly dug dirt. This was the spot. A couple of fat cockroaches scurried away from the light, disappearing into the darkness. She shuddered then began to dig with the scooper. It would not take long. Two minutes at most. Four minutes later, a gnaw of worry grew in her stomach. After another five minutes, she was frantic, stabbing into the dirt with the scooper. Where did it go? She dug like a madwoman until the hole was four times, five times bigger than the one she had dug earlier in the day. It was gone. She wanted to scream. Someone must have seen her bury it there, and had come along and taken it in the interim. Oodles of fentanyl patches, gone from her forever. But also, the vials of all the other pills she had amassed. She had put all her eggs in one basket, and now she had nothing. Her lifeline against suffering was gone. She gritted her teeth and walked back to her trailer, leaving the gaping hole behind her. At her door, she kicked off her dirty shoes and then collapsed on the couch. Heard someone sniffling. She looked up and saw Matt, tears running down his cheeks. The book he had been poring over now lay closed. She brought him to the couch, sat him down on her lap. What's wrong, sweetie? She signed. Too hard, he replied. Too hard, too hard. 
Yes, life is hard, she answered. Things don't always go the way you want them to. She herself began to sob. Matt stopped crying, looked up at her, studied her damp eyes. Then he resumed crying with renewed vigor. Mother and son both, weeping at the whims of a cruel world. The next day, Marjorie went to her pill mill, the reliable clinic in the unreliable area, the one that had never failed to give her a prescription. She pulled on the door, but it did not budge. A sign on the door read, Out on vacation. Back in two weeks. When it rained, it poured. Marjorie felt the queasiness inside her, the suffocating fear of impending horror. She needed to think fast. Marjorie got into her car and drove to the hospital emergency room. She walked in with an odd, slumped posture, clutching her lower back. What's wrong? asked the desk attendant. Spasms, she moaned. Muscle spasms in my back. Can't take it. They sat her on a bed, asked her to rate the pain on a scale from one to ten. Ten, Marjorie gasped, then writhed, arching her back and howling. She pointed to the source of the pain when they asked her for it. Yeah, that's definitely muscle pain, the doctor said after examining her. We'll get you a muscle relaxant. Marjorie's eyes narrowed. Just a muscle relaxant? She was about to get up and walk out when the doctor added, and a dose of morphine to help with the pain. Marjorie settled down. All was well. Several hours later, her symptoms miraculously vanished and she was discharged with a prescription for codeine, just in time to pick up Matt. Everything was lining up properly again. But even with the codeine pills in her possession, the allure of morphine on demand was just too much. She went back again, and then again, trying to time her visits so there were different staffers on shift. She did not want them to remember her, but not having a job left her restless during the day. Her visits were becoming a blur. She knew it was only a matter of time before she killed the goose that laid the golden eggs. But even then, she simply could not stop. During her next visit, the staff seemed to be taking longer than usual. She looked up from her bed at the passersby in the hallway, wondering why no one was dropping in. They usually arrived much sooner. A nurse finally arrived, but she was accompanied by two security guards. The nurse cleared her throat. According to people here, he said, this is the sixth or seventh time you've come in with the same vague complaint and aggressive demands for narcotics. We can no longer see you, and you need to leave immediately. If you refuse, you will be escorted out. The nurse handed her a flyer. She glanced at it. 
listings of rehab centers, methadone clinics. She shook her head. So much for that initiative. As she walked to the parking lot, Marjorie tried to tamp down her misery by looking ahead. The clinic would be open again tomorrow. When that day arrived, she headed there early in the morning, only to see a line snaking outside the door. Everyone looked stressed and anxious, eyes darting around warily. Most appeared well-to-do. Marjorie realized they were pretenders, like her. None of them liked being outside, out in the open. They knew they were there for questionable reasons. They looked exactly how they would have looked if they had lined up in front of the establishment down the street, the one with the large neon sign promising girls, 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 in cursive letters. They worried about being seen by a friend, a boss, a neighbor. On the street corners on either side of the line were drug dealers hawking their wares, probably heroin. One man in line was so jittery that he succumbed, heading over to one of the dealers and making a purchase. The other dealers guffawed, and one applauded. We sell in the same shit, just cheaper, a dealer said. He gestured toward the clinic. That place right there? That place our competition. The doctor, he live in a big-ass house up in High Falls, and he pay for it with his hustle down here in our neighborhood, making money off y'all. He get kickbacks from the drug companies to get y'all hooked on their shit, line in his pockets. Lambs to the slaughter, another dealer said. Funny thing is, the drug companies got other drugs that ain't so addicting. But insurance don't cover that shit because the addicting drugs way cheaper for them. Gotta pile them profits. Everybody in on it. Everybody playing the game. They got fancy degrees and private schools and all that shit. But they the same as us. Ruthless motherfuckers. But ain't none of them in jail. This how America work. No one said anything. No one refuted the remarks. Marjorie tried to ignore what she heard. Her primary concern was seeing the doctor and getting that prescription. At last, the clinic opened and the line began to shrink. During the appointment, Marjorie mentioned that she needed a higher dose than before because the pain was worse. The doctor smiled. Having trouble getting other prescriptions filled because of the new law, he asked. Marjorie remained silent. Tell you what, the doctor said. I can prescribe more, but only if you go to this pharmacy. He jotted down an address for her. They accept cash only, so make sure you bring enough for the co-payment. The place was 80 miles away. Marjorie did not need the address, because she had seen the advertisements for it on her phone. The ads had appeared only recently. When Marjorie arrived at the pharmacy after the long drive, she stood in the parking lot and took it all in. She had never seen a pharmacy like this. The license plate on the cars indicated that people were coming here from five, six different states. A massive line, longer than anything she had seen outside of Arcade. Regal's amusement park. Heavily armed security guards patrolled back and forth. As she waited in line, 
she overheard the people ahead of her talking. So, the advertisements just started showing up on my phone. That means they've gotten bolder now, operating right out in the open. Uh, Well, don't you know? They were waiting for the law that Congress just passed, the one that makes it harder for the DEA to halt suspiciously large shipments of drugs. Look at the security here. They must be making a fortune. But why would Congress do that? Lobbyists, obviously. A bunch of them worked for the DEA before they went to Big Pharma to make the really big bucks. When Marjorie finally got to the counter, she presented her prescription, which they barely glanced at. On a whim, she presented the prescriptions from other doctors, the ones that had previously been rejected by pharmacies elsewhere. No issues. No hassles about a state database. After paying, she clutched the multiple vials of pills and headed home. The whole thing seemed too good to be true. And it was. When Marjorie arrived the following month, The pharmacy had been shut down. Cursing, she drove home nonstop, all 80 miles. Perhaps that was why the ads had stopped appearing on her phone just days before. That weekend, she headed over to her favorite clinic, only to see that it too had been shuttered. The sign read, No longer in business. On her phone, she checked the local news, scrolling until she came across it. Regal doctor indicted for fraudulent prescriptions may lose license. She tapped the headline, scanned the story, raised her eyebrows when she saw that the charges had been brought by the state attorney general, who had indicted several other doctors simultaneously. The pharmaceutical companies are next, he trumpeted at a press conference. He was sending a message the state would aggressively crack down on pill pushers. Of course, there was also the unspoken message. He had begun his campaign for governor, and he hoped this issue would elect him. Marjorie did not follow politics, but she knew how politicians were. A lady, a voice called. Marjorie looked up from her phone at one of the drug dealers who had come closer. He looked to be about 16, with saggy pants, careworn sneakers, and an extra-large t-shirt draped over his medium frame. A lady, he repeated. We know you need that product. We got it right here. No need to go nowhere else. What do you have, Marjorie blurted out, despite herself. The Big H. Black tar heroin. Good stuff. It come from the same poppy plant as all them pills, he replied. Thanks, but no thanks, Marjorie said. I don't take illegal drugs. She walked off, heading to her car. Behind her, the dealers exploded in laughter. Damn! That bitch delusional as fuck, one of them said. She thinks she no drug addict. This shit fun to watch, said another. She get desperate enough, can't get them pills. She be back just like the rest. Just a matter of time. As Marjorie got into her car, the 16-year-old yelled out, That doctor, the best thing that happened to us. Shit ton of customers now, from South End, High Falls, everywhere. Come back soon, lady. As Marjorie drove home, she tried to contain her feeling of dread. 
her safety net had been kicked out from under her yet again. After picking Matt up from daycare, she sat in the living room of her trailer with a vial of pills on the coffee table. She had quite a few, but she had no idea how she would replace them after they were gone. She had noticed that their effect had diminished, and she needed to take more, compounding the problem. Matt sat on the floor of the living room, staring at the wall. He had started reading Sybil's book for a little bit, then had again given up. Now, he seemed as if in a trance. Marjorie wondered what thoughts swirled in that peculiar brain. What made him happy was so different from anything she could relate to, and her inability to communicate with him, to share in his joy, made her sad. He was her son, but his lineage extended from a branch of the family tree that had passed her by. Marjorie wondered what Cheryl's son, Arthur, was doing right now. Probably mussing up his dinner, then throwing a fit over having ice cream or pie for dessert. Matt, on the other hand, was so quiet and reflective. Never fussed about food. Never threw a tantrum. Unless he was separated from his precious books. He could zero in on something and block everything else out for hours at a time. Matt and Arthur were like night and day. Then Marjorie remembered the incident that had gotten her fired, the look on Arthur's face when he saw what no toddler should ever have to see. Her smugness vanished and was replaced by abject shame. Fuck, she said to the trailer. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Bag, Matt said. She had not realized he had turned his attention to her. His eyes were on her lips, reading them. Fag, fag, fag. He paused and smiled, waiting for her to smile back and praise his acumen. Marjorie stared at him, shocked. Oh, God. She was failing with her own son, too. Impulsively, she popped another pill. It was halfway down her gullet, before she wondered whether she had already taken one right before that. Too late now. She was about to curse again when she realized Matt was still studying her lips, hungry for feedback. Time to set a good example. I love you, she said. After seeing him hesitate, she repeated it for him, speaking slower. I love you. I love you he said. Marjorie laughed. Ah, she said. Ah, he responded. Marjorie got up from the couch and sat on the floor with him. She lived in a trailer, but at that moment, she felt like the richest person in Regal. She scooped Matt up, held him close to her, and rocked back and forth. No one will take you away from me, she murmured. No one. I'll protect you forever. I love you, Matt said. I love you too, sweetheart, Marjorie said. Moments like these reminded her of what really mattered in life. Euphoria coursed through her. Stress melted away. The rest of the world faded for a brief eternity.
When Marjorie opened her eyes, she blinked hard, confused. She did not remember when she had fallen asleep, sitting and hunched over. She wondered why she was on the floor of the living room, and tried to remember what she had been doing. Then it came back to her. She had been cradling Matt, who was now... Matt! He was lying down beside her, his complexion a strange blue hue. In his hand was a vial of pills. The pills that had been on the coffee table. She had forgotten to close the child-proof cap, and he had taken the vial while she was asleep. He had seen her take pills so many times, he must have thought it was okay to do it himself. How many pills did he ingest? Marjorie pushed her thumb against his throat, trying to feel a pulse. In the next episode, Marjorie is forced to come to terms with her addiction to opioids. Join us next time on the American Opioid Podcast.